I'm going to read from Ephesians 4, chapter 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says... When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ, gave, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the ways and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And the next one I'm reading um, is Mark chapter 10, 32 to 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, said to him, came to him, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You would drink the cup that I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hi, everyone. 
Uh, thank you, Fiona, for being adaptable and me throwing in a, another reading very late last minute. Uh, so thank you for doing that. It's great to be with you, and I look forward to um, reflecting a bit more on ministry uh, with you as we go forward. Um, I'm going to pray, and then, then we'll uh, get stuck into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can be here together, whether we're here for the first time, whether we've been here uh, as we started last year. We do pray now that we will hear from your word and we'll get a picture of what it's like uh, to live as your people uh, in light of what you are like and what your son has done for us. Amen. Now, this has been a great series uh, and uh, over the last uh, few weeks because what we've done as a church is think about what matters to us. What should ooze out of us? If you say you're a Christian, what you're saying is, these are the things that God thinks are important for life. And that's what we've been wrestling with. And if you're wondering about what it is to be a Christian, these five weeks give you a great snapshot of that. How you become a Christian through Jesus, and then what that looks like afterwards. And so we're getting to the end, and we've gone through a whole bunch of different ideas we started with magnification because we start with God. The whole point of life is to cast our eyes, our minds, our whole selves towards God, to magnify Him, to be, uh, have a life of joy and thanksgiving and praise to what He's done for us. That is who we are as God's people. And so it's great to think on that. And then we thought about, well... It's not just for us. This isn't not just some club that you only get a special membership to and then that's it. And we don't want to be any bigger because Jesus came for the world for many people to hear about him and to love him and to live for him. And so what should ooze out of us is a passion for being on mission. That's what every Christian should have as part of their DNA. And Scott really helpfully reflected on that, on that with us a few weeks ago. But we don't just say, do we, that we just want people to be part of us and there not be anything here for them. We want to be a church that is deeply joined together. And so when we talked about membership, we're talking about when someone comes on a Sunday or engages with us in any way, we want to be welcoming. We want them to think that this is a place that they could be a part of if they were wondering. And not just welcoming them in, but we're a church community that actually does life together. And we're still figuring that out. We're only a few months old and we're wanting to get better and better at that and get to know each other. I know some of you really well from previous years at Grove and from some of you I've only just met. And it's great to start to get to know each other and for us to be committed to doing that more and more. And I'd love to chat, chat with you more and find out more about who you are and what you do over the coming weeks and months and after the service uh, today as well. But not only that, we don't just want to be a, a community that's really great, that we love being at. We're a community that is passionate about something. What is it that we're passionate about? We're passionate about growing in our faith. Being like Jesus, being godly. And that means, therefore, we're passionate about the Bible, God's revelation to us. We love God speaking to us. That's what Christians love, because He has. He's revealed himself to us. And so we are going to be a church that is deeply passionate about getting stuck into the word. 
So we've got these four things. This is a bit of a snapshot. And then we get to the end today, the last one, which is kind of an elaboration of uh, maturity and what a, what a community should look like. And we're going to think about ministry, as you've already heard. But before we do that, let me ask the question, what should church look like then? What should ministry in a church look like? Maybe it should look like a bit like this video. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I don't know who sets the worship center temperature, but why does it have to be so cold? Why do you have to be so right? Heated chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church, but I'm afraid if it's too small, they're going to make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, do I? Makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. We're millennials and we want a church that... Say no more. Any requests you have will be granted immediately. Parking is horrible. It takes me almost six minutes to get from my car to the building. Ugh. It's going to take me six seconds to tell you a valet service is on the way. My pastor's preaching, it's all over the map. I say, oh, I don't know, stick with the books of the Bible. We should be only exegetical. Okay, next week we start John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll even start pronouncing that word the way you said it. Hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound? Hey, anybody willing to go 15 should be willing to go to 10. <laughs> you drive a hard bargain. But from now on, five-minute sermons it is. <laughs> now you're talking. Me, church, where it's all about you. Is that what church should be like? No. <laughs> That's a good start, guys. Excellent. I'm glad I didn't hear any yeses. Uh, but I want us to push deeper into that. Because while that's a bit of a parody and a send-up, that's the challenge that we have. What is church actually about? And so when we think about ministry, which is service, we could say service, what does that mean? What does it look like? And we're going to tear to shreds that idea that church is about me, and what I need to get out of it, in maybe a bit more realistic fashion. And we're going to see that church is profoundly about others. How do we do that? Where do we start? Well, we start by, re by being reminded it's not about you. And one of the things that, if, if Scott does let me get back up in the pulpit a, a few times, and maybe he won't after today, because uh, I haven't done everything the way he was going to do it, I'm sure... I like using acronyms to kind of hook people into things, or I like making up words, uh, just because then you remember it, even though it's not a real word. But this today is my favourite all-time acronym, because it, it was life-transforming for me, this idea. An idea that changed my attitude to life, changed my whole thinking about ministry, changed the right, way I should think about relating to people and what church should be like. O-P-C. OPC. What is that? Other person centeredness. Let's pull that apart a little bit. How do we pull that apart? Me telling you that's what you should do is a nonsense. It needs to be what God tells us. 
And so where do we start to look at this? Where do we think about this? Well, I think we actually go straight back to the very heart of the gospel. And in Mark's gospel, right at the centerpiece of it, we find a passage that Fiona read for us. And right at the end of that passage, we see Jesus talking about what he's going to go and do. And it not only shapes how we come into relationship with God, it shapes our mindset of other person-centeredness. Have a look with me on the screen. You'll see um, Mark 10, verse 45. What does it say? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man, that's a title Jesus used more than any other title uh, in, in the Gospels to, to refer to himself, is a title which, uh, when we do unpack what it means in the Old Testament and go further, is saying he comes with authority. He is a human who comes with authority, who is actually a king. And when he says the Son of Man comes, it's kind of ironic that he says he comes with authority when the very thing that he does isn't very authority-like, is it? He comes to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus flips it upside down. His way of authority, his way of thinking about how we relate is totally different. He serves us. Isn't that deeply profound for us to reflect on today? That the Lord of all, the one who was there when all things were created... They were created for him and by him, is saying he became human to give his life to serve us. So I want you to do something for me right now. Right at this moment, I want you to, to think about, like actually think about, you don't, don't yell it out, but just think in your own mind, who has served you profoundly in your life, in whatever way? I'm sure there's someone who's done something deeply profound to serve you, or might have been lots of moments of life. Uh, things that they've done for you. Who has done that for you in your life? Who comes to your mind? I'm sure there are many people who have done amazing things of service for you. Have you got that person? Isn't it great to have those people who do that for us? Well, I reckon it's actually an understatement to say they haven't done a good job compared to what Jesus is saying he's done for us right here. Even though they've been brilliant and transforming for us, compared to the service that Jesus gives us, the life-giving death of himself in our place, nothing compares. Jesus, who saw our need to have our rebellion, our sin, our rejection of God himself uh, dealt with, took it on himself. He took his, uh, our, our punishment as a ransom for us. He didn't just ignore our problem with us and God. He faced all of what was due us. Him serving to the point of death in your place. This is how Jesus sees service. He came to be a servant. And when we dive into the Bible, I don't know if you've ever um, uh, looked at the book of Isaiah. 
uh, for example. It's an amazing book. It's deeply profound. Hundreds of years ago, it was written in, in uh, the, the end part of, of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 40, there's this whole section of songs about a suffering servant. And this suffering servant comes along and he's this great example of one who is going to be a servant and suffer. And here we have Jesus, who is actually the one that Isaiah was talking about all these years ago, being that one who gives his life as a ransom for many. So when we think about what church looks like, we're starting from a very different place of I would like uh, ballet car parking. (laughs) I would like whatever you want to come up with. I would like this song to be played because it's my all-time favourite song. It must be played. I would like this series to be preached. I would like this be the way the kids program. It's a totally different starting point to the Son of Man gave his life as a ransom for many. So let's be clear first up, this isn't just a great example for how we live. This is the life-changing moment in history where God has done something profound to transform you from death to life. Jesus' death is so you can have life with him. If that's not uh, something you realize today, reflect on that. You're hearing today God saying, I have died for you so that you can have life with me into all eternity. That would be the one thing for you to take away from today if that's where you're at, to wrestle with that, to embrace that. I'd love to talk uh, with you a bit more about that further. But for those of us who have grabbed hold of that, this life-giving example we don't move on from, we soak ourselves in it. It's the perfect other person-centered example it shapes what the christian mindset should be it shapes how we relate to each other jesus highlighted that the moments before he died you know the moments before jesus died he went to pray because he knew what he was facing and he took um, his uh, closest friends with him the disciples and they went to the garden of gethsemane And see, in this moment, he's praying, knowing full well what he's about to take. And as he does that, he prays a prayer in anguish, in despair, fully understanding that he's about to face God's wrath for all of humanity's uh, rebellion. Have a look at what he says. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. See, the cup isn't just some really awful drink, like peppermint tea. Oh, sorry, if you like peppermint tea. That's just a personal example. You come up, yeah. It's not some really awful drink, right? It's, it's far worse than that. The cup in the Old Testament is a way of describing God's wrath. In Jeremiah, we don't have time to go into today. It's God's wrath, the cup of wrath. And Jesus knows he's about to face that. And it makes sense. As you're seeing that, you go, Oh, just take this from me. But that's not the end of his prayer, is it? You see it up there on the screen. He says, Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Can you see what's going on here? That God in himself 
is a perfect example of service. God has actually, Jesus has actually shown us that how even when he's facing his anguish, he's come uh, fully human, he knows what he's facing, he looks to the Father's plan that he knows all too well, he's always been there, and he says, that's the plan that I will do. You see, sometimes people ask, why do we worry so much about the Trinity? One God, three persons. You know, okay, it's a good idea, but why do we have to worry about it so much? Well, one of the great things we see here is that we see how God is relational with himself. How the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they actually relate to each other profoundly. And we see this relationship is so other person sacrificially centered. Yet not my will. Jesus has done what his father had sent him to do. See, the more and more we sit under that and embrace that, I want to suggest to you today the healthier, the stronger, the more we grow as a church community, the more we can serve each other better. The thing that saves us is the thing that shapes us. We see Jesus himself, we see what the service mindset is all about. We see what ministry should look like. Now, if that's what Jesus was like, why does that mean that we should be like that? Isn't that just one step too far? Well, we've been spending over the last few weeks the picture of what it is that we're, we're, we're to be, who we are. And when we look at the Bible and grow, we want to grow into being like Jesus, who is totally self-sacrificial and humble. That is who we are to be. We had Ephesians uh, for, uh, for us, which is the passage that Scott was going to uh, mostly focus on today. And we saw that we, we, we do works of service. Another passage which I'm going to reflect on today, and I left Ephesians 4 as the reading because you see them all together. This isn't just one idea isolated. This is an idea that is throughout the Bible that we actually live in light of the way Jesus lived. And as we're a body, as we heard with the Kiwi Ninja, as we heard Ephesians 4 read to us, a body that is working together to serve, we see in 1 Peter the same idea that we're to be like Jesus for service. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. See, Jesus died for us. And in light of that, what, what are we to have? The same attitude. We arm ourselves with the humility that Jesus has. And I'm pretty sure, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you can't have an attitude of humility without having a mindset of serving each other. It would be kind of hard to do that. They just don't work independently of each other. If you're humble, you're not about yourself. You're about others. And if you're about others and building them up, you will serve them. Would you say 
you're you're the type of person that people would consider is one who loves to serve others or find it difficult. Because the reality is, for some of us, it's easier just by our personality and nature to, to do things for others. That could cause our difficulties for us as well, but it's just the way we're built. But what we're seeing today is that's not an excuse for not being passionately committed to serving or, being, or not. No matter how we're wired, we're all on about other people. And so in 1 Peter uh, 4, 7 and 8, we see, um, we say, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. You see, as we think about service and ministry, this isn't some clinical scientific experiment. This is something that God's people are committed to because everything we do should be covered by love. As God loved us when we were His enemies, we have that mindset of love in everything that we do. As we think about bringing uh, our eyes towards God, we do that with a mindset of love. As we think about welcoming people into the church, we don't do it because we want to be some big church or we want to just look like we're all happening. We do it because we love people we haven't even met yet. As we grow deep in the Word and we read our Bibles and we think about it, we have community groups uh, uh, during the week, we do that because that's another box we can tick off or it's because we love finding out about what God says and we want to do that with others who think the same. And so, when it comes to service, we don't do it just because we feel guilty, because uh, you hear it from up the front that we've got to do it, or you feel guilty because we're a new church and really, we've all got to get on board to make it happen, otherwise it ain't going to happen. Or, do we do it because of love? Love shapes our mindset to everything. And we understand love in light of what Jesus has done for us. You see, love isn't an action. (laughs) That's the exact opposite of what I wanted to say. (laughs) Love is not just saying you love someone. If the whole sum of love at our church is whoever gets up the front, the singers as they sing about love, Ada as she leads, me now speaking, Scott as he speaks, say, we are a loving church. And yet, there is no action other than saying it, we're not really loving. We've just said our intent without any real expression of it. Jesus did not write hallmark cards that said, I love you, and pass them out to everyone. He went to the cross and died in your place as his gift to show you he loves you. And so we are deeply committed to this way of thinking and service. And so we can see the last bit of 1 Peter as it drives us into thinking more about service as the body together seeks to do this. And we see there's a bit of a kind of membership hospitality um, comes back into it. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Now, wouldn't it be a weird thing as uh, those that are just serve us morning tea, helpfully in the little packets, go, oh, come on, take one of these. I'm sick of handing these around. Can you just get rid of it? I've got to go to a lunch. Can, I just want to get rid of this tray right now, please. That would be weird. <laughs> and yet, I don't know, this might just be me. I grumble sometimes. I just can hide it pretty well. Maybe my family thinks differently. But all of you guys probably don't think, I can. hey, sh- uh, everyone else probably doesn't realise, I struggle with grumbling sometimes. But I wouldn't do it like that as I'm passing around morning tea. But if we're going to be a people that serve each other and we want, we want to bring, uh, have a community together, focus on Jesus, we seek not to grumble. We're not to be rude and gossip in the way that we speak and we're not to complain in ways that are unhelpful. Instead, we think about the gifts that we have and we use them for service. Have a look at verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So here's the thing. I reckon so often we jump to that verse and we kind of think, uh, whatever gift you have received, I've got to use it. I've got this gift that God's given me, therefore it's my God-given right to use it. So wherever I come to church, at this time, I must use it now. But I think we're missing something in that verse, is because the passage says, each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others. It's whatever you can do, you've got to determine whether you should do it about whether, is it helpful in that moment to serve? Sometimes it might not be. Sometimes you try something else and do something else because there's a bigger need. See, in any church, you'll have lots of people with many gifts and you also have lots of needs for things to have done so we can get on with being who we are. If we just focused on all the gifts that we have, our church will be skewed to where people have been gifted. Or if we just focus on all the things that we need, we're not building up people and helping them use their gifts. You see, so a different mindset is to think, with whatever gifts I have, and maybe some that I haven't even realised that I have yet, I'm willing to do for the sake of each other here and those we reach out to. You kind of see that slight shift in mindset into how we think about uh, what gifts we have and how we think about them. You see, you may have things... It may, may be able to do things here at Trinity Church Paraka that you've never done before and maybe if I asked you to do it right now, not knowing you, you'd be freaked out by it. But 24 years ago, when I was 20, I did not want to ever talk in front of anyone. I hated the idea of leading. I hated the idea of being up in front of anyone and I was never going to do that. I was a behind-the-scenes person. Now, I say that to you just to show God does what he does. It's still bizarre to me that I'm up in front of you 24 years later. You see, So it, whatever you can do now in serving isn't necessarily that's it. You see, God uses us in all sorts of different ways, behind the scenes, up, up the front, and in ways that we can learn. And also sometimes in ways you don't need to be super gifted, like that... that um, very self-involved father who clearly there was the marital issues. I ain't stuck in no chairs. You don't need the gift of stair-chucking. 
As long as you're physically able, you can pick up a chair and put on another one. And we're in a gym. We kind of do that, right? It's not, oh, let's determine who can do it the most giftedly. There's a whole bunch of things about church that is, you've got the gift if you've got the time and availability and your church needs you to do it. You see, we, we are, have great privilege to live life together. And when we have the mindset of Jesus and we think about how we use the gifts that we've given and look at the needs that church has, we start to reflect more and more what God wants His people to be like. And then we get to the end in verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. At the end of this passage, we've gone back full circle to our series, haven't we? And Peter ends this passage with saying, it's all for God. Everything we do is not about me. It's not even about the other people here. It's ultimately about God for His glory forever and ever. Amen. Is that your mindset? That is what God is challenging you to be like today. So we serve for the good of others as we reflect Jesus' loving, sacrificial service. He has given us the framework of being other person-centered. So as we kind of reflect and think on what does this look like? I was thinking about how can I wrap up what does service look like? So ministry in our, in our church, it's the things that we do to, to make it happen, right? How do, we, how do we do this in this mindset? I've got five uh, short reflections on this for you to ponder over. Maybe one or two of them will stick out you two uh, particularly. The first one is, is what we've just been seeing all the way through and I just want to live in there as a final reflection. Start with the right mindset. It's about God first and each other. It's not about you. Whenever you turn up at a church, and, and hopefully you're here for a long time, we'd lo love to have you, but whenever you uh, end up in a church, when you go, what are you looking for? I need this, I need this, I need... It's dangerous, isn't it? What we look for is a community that we can love and be part of and serve who's focused on God and is passionate about His Word, who profoundly cares about the lost that are out there. We should be a community who actually is not satisfied with, it's great that we've got so many people after such a short time and everyone's on board. We're not satisfied with that because there are so many people that are lost. That's the serving mindset. Secondly, you serve in the context of the way that your church goes about it. This is one for Scott. I'm sure he would like this one. Right? So, uh, You don't come to a church and think, yeah, that's good. I'll be part of the church, but I want them to do this and I want to change it this way and I'd like to shape it this way. When you come, you get on board with the church and you help serve in that context. You don't constantly kind of try and go up against the stream and change things from within because you want it to be a certain way. 
you decide this is a place that I can be with these people and you get on board with it. That's why this series is so helpful. If you haven't heard all the talks and you're, and you're thinking about whether you want to be part of us or you are, reflect on them think, yes, that is, that is who I want to be and that's what uh, this church is on about, so I'm on board. We don't swim up against the stream, we embrace the, the, the direction on who we want to be. Thirdly, wholeheartedness in how you do ministry, how you serve, is something that I've realised isn't always what we do. It's another personal reflection that I think is actually real for a lot of us and happens at different seasons in our life, is that we can serve that looks good and helps the body, but we're kind of dialling it in a little bit, that we're not really committed. You know, we can get away with this amount of serving and I can get on with my life to do it. We've been uh, asked, can we do this? But I, I just won't go to that next level. It's too hard, but I'll do that and that'll be good enough. We can be tempted to dial it in. But I'm pretty sure if we go back to the cross, Jesus' mindset was wholehearted, not, I'll just do what's needed. You see, it's a, it's a different mindset to being, I'll just do what's needed, I'll go on a roster and I'll do that thing and I'll move on to, how can I help? How can I be part of a team to help make something happen? How can I, oh, we need more than just the, the leaders up the top, those that kind of oversee everything and then us doing stuff. As a church, we probably need a whole bunch of people in the middle helping kind of organise and lead people. I don't know how to do that, but if I'm asked to help do that, if they show me how to do it, I'll get on board with it. Ah, we need community groups. I've never led a community group and I've got no idea how to do it. But they're actually saying, oh, if anyone would like to wrestle with whether they could and get help in it and, and, and figure it out, oh, maybe I should push into thinking in that. Instead of just dialing in, doing something as we can. That's for you to wrestle with. I, I think sometimes... I think that's a seasonal thing over years, sometimes over terms, of where we're at in our own mind and it's good for us to do a good conscience check on where we are in our attitude to service. Fourthly, I think this one's important and it can play out two ways and it gets back to the type of people that we are, actually. Sometimes we can play the martyr a little bit when we serve. I have to do everything and, and, and I, I'm that kind of person who just does everything, gets in there, and you kind of take that, that approach of, oh, I'm just, oh, just doing it, and no one else will do it, I'll do it, and you kind of play the martyr. I think it's good to own those moments when we do that, and to ask God to help us not to be like that. We don't do everything. It's the, it's the safety aeroplane principle, I think, is very important, right? We don't do everything all the time. See, in a plane, if you need oxygen, what's the first rule that you have to do? Pardon? After you put it on yourself first. You see? You can't, if you're not breathing, you can't help anyone else. So they're very clear. Put it on yourself first and then help others. 
That's not a selfish act in that you're doing the wrong. That is a wise act of this is how we're going to try and help everyone as best we can in this situation. Service of playing the martyr that you grind yourself into the ground that you have, you're not going to help others. We actually want to push into thinking, how can I healthily look after myself in a way that I can serve others more effectively? The flip side of that, I think I'm a bit more this side than the martyr side. I don't think I really play the martyr. But some of us, let's face it, I'll own it, like to be in control a little bit. Like to, like to have things our way, a certain way. That's just the way we're wired. And it's not necessarily wrong. It's how we apply it that can get a bit skew if I've realised. You can hide that in being one who serves all the time. Because if you serve and if you get to be one who can help organise things, then you're in your sweet spot, you see? And that's a good thing. That's a good thing because you can do it well. But this is, a, this is a check in how you think as a person and how you serve. Am I doing that because now I get to do... It's me, church, in, in a more subtle way. I get to control stuff. Instead, what we, what we can think is that, God, you've given me the, the ability to, to be organized and structured in a far better way, or I, I like these things. Let me constantly reflect on, is this what's needed for church and what my leaders are telling me, and how can I helpfully do that to build others up not to just get what I think would be kind of good. On a spectrum, which way do you lean? Are you more the martyr or are you more the one who likes to control things? It doesn't really matter. We're all there on the spectrum somewhere. The challenge today is to own it, bring it to God and ask Him to help us to be more other person-centred like Jesus. And the last one, I think it's good for us to remember, which kind of four points us towards, even with our great capacity as those in Christ to serve, we still have moments where we make it about me. We do. I'd even go one step further and say that even sometimes when we're serving really well and serving the body in really profound ways, we can still make it about us. Sometimes it can have effects on the church community. Sometimes it can just really affect you and your relationship with God. We are confusing humans. We're very complex. We do good things with confusing motives sometimes. And it's helpful to remember, as we're a church, it's on about serving our motivations profoundly matter and we constantly come back to them and ask, ask God to help us to be like Jesus in our mindset. You see, we are a church that is not concerned about our own idolatry, our own self. We want to build up the body of Christ, not just because the other people here are the most important, ultimately but because Jesus, the Lord of all, has made us to be in relationship with Him together as His people into all eternity. Let's pray in the knowledge of that fact. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that in Your great plan and wisdom, in uh, making us in Your image and then restoring restoring a broken image through Christ, we, we are gifted in all sorts of ways. That 
You have made it so that we're in relationship with each other, where our mindset should be to you first and to others, that Jesus should shape who we are. Father, help us today to have a profound sense of serving the body, serving each other because of what your Son has done for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.